This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. One of the earliest movies or films concerning the end of the age or the end times came out in the early 1970s. Actually, about the mid-1970s, it was called A Thief in the Night. A Thief in the Night. My wife and I happened to have watched that in our early days of marriage, and we still remember it to this day. One of the things that my wife remembers particularly is the pastor preaching in the pulpit after the rapture, and the majority of the people from the church were still in the pews. It has continued to grip her heart to this very day, which gives testimony to the concept of a remnant and what it means to be prepared. Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to go to the passage in the scriptures from which that the title of that film was taken. It was taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, we don't normally think of Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, as being prophetic books, but they are. In fact, some of the most profound and serious prophecy comes from those two books. So we're going to take a look at that here today on Viewpoint, not only to find out what it is that's going to be coming, but also to find out what we should do in the process. So it's going to have a twofold effect here today on Viewpoint, not just talking about what's going to happen, the prophecy part of it, but what you and I must be about. That's our faith response to it. And so the end of this passage begins with these words, comfort one another or comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Comfort yourself with these words. Well, one doesn't normally think of words concerning prophecy and concerning uh, the, the day of the Lord and the darkness that's going to come and the appearance of the son of perdition and so on. One does not normally think of those as comforting words, particularly today. But Paul said they should be, and he told the people to comfort themselves with these words. So hopefully today, by the time we're through, we'll understand why Paul would say that, and perhaps we will find comfort in these words. So let's take a look at what those words really are. He said, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when we shall say peace and cuff, uh, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Because you are all the children of light, and the children of the day. You're not of the night, nor of darkness. So let's not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, because God has not appointed us to wrath. All right, just taking that alone, we should find sufficient information there to understand why it would be followed with the words, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. 
Because if we are children of light and not of darkness, that is, true followers of Jesus Christ who are walking in repentance, who are walking in holiness, who are walking in righteousness, who are uh, seeking to follow the Lord with a whole heart, we should be informed. We should not be in darkness. That day, the day of the Lord, should not overtake us as a thief. Now, who is it going to overtake as a thief? It's going to take overtake everybody else. It's going to overtake the majority of the people on the planet because they are continuing on cruising along through life in regular fashion, dealing with the general issues of the time, eating, drinking, marrying, being married, uh, married and giving in marriage, and then doing all the other stuff in business and making money or whatever, but they're going to be completely unconscious, without consciousness of the times. But you see, if you and I are conscious of the times, which is the reason why God, in his mercy, gives us the understanding of the times, then we have something to comfort ourselves with, unlike the rest of the world. Then, if we're told what we, what we should do in the process, being sober, that's serious-minded, putting on the bless, breastplate of faith and love and the hope of salvation, I mean, those are great things. We can comfort ourselves with those words. And we're going to find even more words that we can comfort ourselves with in the course of understanding, dealing with what Paul, the Apostle Paul, reveals in both 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So I hope that you'll stay tuned, friends. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And might I say again, the Bible is not for the poor purpose of just informing us. It's for the purpose of transforming us. God is interested that you and I apply the Word of God in such a fashion that it brings about change, real change, real hope, real joy, real peace in the Holy Spirit. Because, as Paul also writes, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So those are good things. Those are very good things, and we should consciously be grateful. So as we go through this here, perhaps the overarching uh, attitude of our hearts and our minds should be gratitude. We want to be grateful, notwithstanding a lot of other very negative things that's going to take place, a lot of very negative things, the likes of which the world has never seen to the degree that the world is going to see in a very short time ahead. We don't know how long a time it is. We don't know the day or the hour. Uh, generally speaking, we should understand the season. But even within that realm, we can't say, well, it's next week, next year, and so on. We can't do that. We cannot set dates and times in that sense. It's very dangerous. But in the context of all of our discussion, we should be grateful. And we're going to find that as we go through chapter 5 of First Thessalonians, we're going to find the Apostle Paul specifically tells us that that's what we need to do. So, 
Hang in there, my good friend, because we have a lot on our plate here today on Viewpoint. Now, before we go further, I want to remind you that during the month of September, and only during the month of September, we're making all of my books, not all of the books on our website, but all of my books, and there are nine of them on the website, all nine of them are on a very special offer. Two of them, Antichrist and Messiah, are reduced from $22 to $15 each. All of the rest of them are $10. We have never done this before, but we want to get this message out as quickly, as rapidly as we possibly can. Avail yourself of it right there on the website, saveus.org. We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Always good to join you here on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most. For those of you that are in the northeast of this country, Massachusetts and Connecticut and New York and so on, those areas, I want to remind you, many of you have already received letters and have heard on the radio various spots, but I want to remind those of you who are listening that come November 4th, Saturday morning, November 4th, my wife and I are going to rejoin you all for our annual breakfast with our listeners. It's going to be at the uh, Crestview Country Club in Agawam, uh, Massachusetts. By the way, it's the very first zip code in the country. We're going to the very first zip code in the country there at the Crestview Country Club in Agawam, Massachusetts. It will be from 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., and uh, if you are interested in joining us, which I hope you are, and will bring a friend, uh, you need to go to our website, saveus.org, that's saveus.org, and uh, make your reservation. You should do that uh, quickly, because people are starting to sign up more quickly than ever before. So go there, make your reservation. Don't wait to find out if you have something better to do, because this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. Everybody who ever comes to these goes away very strengthened and encouraged and glad that they were there. And bring others. So, again, go to the website, saveus.org, and go to our the bookstore, and there you will find in the upper right-hand corner uh, where you can sign in for the breakfast. Now, if that's not something that you can do or know how to do or whatever, then give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA. And we'll be uh, glad to help you get signed up for that breakfast. $30 a person. That's as low as we can make it. It's very hard in this economy to keep things uh, down, but that's the best that we can possibly do. And it's a great place. It's the best place that we've ever found up there. Uh, for the gathering of the people. So avail yourself of that opportunity. November 4th, 
there in Agawam, Massachusetts. Okay, now we move forward with regard to what the Apostle Paul is saying concerning the day of the Lord. Now, we have to answer the question, what is the day of the Lord? Now, generally speaking, the day of the Lord is a period of time, a very short period of time, at the very end of the age. It's the third of three separate time periods. The first major time period is what is called the end times. The end times began on the day of Pentecost, when Peter, the apostle, declared, this is that which was spoken of by the Holy Spirit, that in the last days, the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and so on. So whether you want to call it the end times or the last days, we'll call it the last days because that's exactly what Peter called it. So obviously it's a period of about 2,000 years. About 2,000 years. So when Peter spoke that, it was somewhere around uh, 28 to 29 A.D. in Jerusalem. So 2,000 years from then would somehow be around... uh, Well, uh, 2029, wouldn't it? Around 2029. Now, again, by saying that, I'm not saying the Lord is returning in 2029. I'm saying that's within the parameters of 2,000 years. That is two days, 2,000 years since the date of Pentecost. All right. The second period, which is a much shorter period, is a period of time referenced in the book of Ezekiel called the latter days. Now, it's not just in the book of Ezekiel, but it is in the book of Ezekiel that in the latter days, there will be a confederation of nations that are, all, that are specified there in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that will attack Israel when she is in relative safety for the purpose of taking a spoil. Now, we're not going to go into the details of that aspect, but that tells us approximately when that period of the latter days is. It's toward the latter part of the last days. Then there's another period of time called the Day of the Lord that's in the latter part of the latter part of the last days. And it's a period of time depending on who you talk to and what they want to make reference to, when God pours out his wrath upon the children of disobedience, not upon his people, upon the children of disobedience, and where Christ returns and the earth is darkened, the earth is shaken with a great shaking and so on, and the trumpet sounds. All of those things occur at a, in a period of time generally referred to as the day of the Lord. If you read about the day of the Lord by the prophet Joel, by the prophet Amos, by the prophet Zephaniah, you will get some other clarification. And even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24 talks about what happens after the tribulation in the day of the Lord. He said, after the tribulation. Those are his words in Matthew chapter 24. All right, so let's move forward then and take a look at what the Apostle Paul then has to say further uh, to the brethren. 
those who are true followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about people who are churchgoers. You can go into a church and not be a Christian. I can walk into a garage and not become a car. You see, so just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. In fact, just saying you believe in God doesn't make you a Christian. Just saying you believe in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. Because even the devil and the demons believe in God and they believe in Jesus. But they haven't committed their life to him, you see. They're not trusting the blood of Christ to save them from all sin and to recognize that they are sinners, that they need a Savior, and to humble themselves before the mighty hand of God and receive the blood of Christ to cleanse them from all sin. They haven't done that. Have you? Have you remained faithful to continue? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, he that endures to the end shall be saved. In other words, he that is faithful to the end. Not he that makes a confession of faith at some time, but he that walks faithfully in accordance with the word, will, and the ways of the Lord, and seeks the Lord with a whole heart, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you see, just as Jesus said. Those are the people, you see, that are not appointed to God's wrath. Now, a lot of people make a terrible mistake when in chapter 5, verse 9 of the book of First Thessalonians, they think that appointed to wrath is talking about man's wrath. No, God is going to pour out his wrath on the children of disobedience. In other words, those who refuse to obey. If you despise the word obey, like the majority of professing Christians do today, you're in deep danger of having the wrath of God come on you. Because dissing obedience is like witchcraft. We read that in 1 Samuel. It's like the sin of witchcraft. It's rebellion against God. God is not going to receive rebels into his house. And therefore, by definition, we become uh, part of those who disobey God. The wrath of God comes only on those who disobedience to him. But there is another kind of wrath that God has not sought to excuse believers from. He has made no promise of excusing believers from. Some believers have found themselves being delivered from the wrath of man, but not all. In fact, not most. Most have not found themselves having been delivered from the wrath of man. Most believers have not found themselves delivered from growing persecution in our time. It's been said now that in the last uh, hundred years, more people have uh, been persecuted for the name of Christ than in all the previous centuries since the birth of Christ. Which means it's accelerating. Persecution is accelerating. That's why I'm writing a book called, uh, it's not preparing for persecution, but it's when persecution comes. Now what do we do? What does it look like? What do we do now? That is the wrath of man that is being poured out on professing Christians. It's called persecution, if it's for the name of Christ. It's for, if it's for our stupidity and our bad attitudes, 
then it's not persecution for the name of Christ. We get no credit for that. So God has not appointed us to his wrath. But a lot of people think that that verse means that God is not going to allow humankind, professing Christians, to incur the wrath of man. Now, friends, let's be real honest about it. We know in our hearts that that is not true. We know it's not true. If you go back in time, wherever, whatever period of time you want to go to, and you read of the massive persecution that's taking place, or has taken place. For instance, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, the famous book on martyrs of the church in the early days. You read that, which I did when I was 12 years of age. I've never forgotten it. God, those people were not delivered from the wrath of man. None of them were. That's why they're called martyrs. When the five missionaries went down there to uh, Ecuador, to the Aka Indians, and were thrust through with spears and died, God didn't deliver them, even though they went for a holy cause. Ultimately, the wife of one of them went down and experienced the salvation of many of the Aka Indians who themselves had pierced and killed her husband. And her husband had said, he is no fool, who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That was the Christian outlook. That has been the historic outlook of the church until the last 50 years. In the last 50 years, we've developed an entitlement mentality in the broader body of Christ. That somehow, we're not going to be like those martyrs back there, even into the 1950s, when the Aka Indians took the lives of those five missionaries. Or like the thousands that are being rounded up, imprisoned, sent to hard labor, or just butchered in China for their faith. Right now, there's an increasing thrust to de-Christianize all of China. The, the world has just come out this week. Is God delivering those people? No. Why do we think in this country that we're not going to have to put up with any of that? Because we think, well, we're Americans. Things don't like that don't happen in America. Well, my dear friends, they are. You think that what's happening with regard to the approach of our supposed Department of Justice with regard to a thousand people that happened to be there on January 6th and throwing them into uh, solitary confinement without a trial? You think that's not persecution? You say, well, that wasn't for their faith. All right. What's coming next? On the heels of that is going to be the same kind of treatment concerning your faith. Because... Increasingly, the government of the United States of America is becoming radically anti-Christian. Even the FBI has been taken to task, and I believe it's this very day when Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, is being resoundingly questioned over the FBI policy to label believing Catholics as, tra as traitors, and to set up programs 
of spying on them from coast to coast. Friends, if you think it's not happening, it is happening. Please disabuse yourself of the idea, it's everything's going to be wonderful, everything's going to be cool. These are just little illustrations here or there, but it's not a real deal. Oh, it's a real deal, friends. That's why I brought you the book. In fact, with every day that is passing now, I'm finding it amazing that the issues of persecution, both in this country and around the world, are multiplying so quickly that I can't possibly account for them in this book. I'm going to have to leave certain minor illustrations for you to read and talk about them. Now what do we do? Stay tuned, friends. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, his ministry sidekick, that know this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Well, those times are here, friends, and they're growing more perilous as the days pass on. Why is that? Because we are approaching history's final hour from God's perspective. We just are. And we need to own up to it. We need to face it. The Apostle Paul gave us warning, God in his mercy and loving kindness as a father gave us 2,000 years of warning in the New Testament alone. And if we go back, we can go back seven, 800 years in the Old Testament and find similar warnings. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, and so on from the prophet Joel. The prophet Amos, the day of the Lord. Why are you seeking the day of the Lord? It's not a day of of great joy and everything. It's a day of uh, sadness, and it's a day of darkness and gloom. What's it talking about? It's talking about when Christ comes to render his wrath upon the children of disobedience. He's not going to render his wrath on true followers, his true followers. So somewhere... Somewhere after the midpoint of a period of time that people generally call the tribulation, which is not a biblical term at all. There's no such thing as the tribulation in the Bible. What there is is what the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 when he referred to the great tribulation. So there's going to be a great tribulation, but before that, there's going to be a time, perilous times of troubles, 
and pressures. Those growing troubles and pressures are, in English, described as tribulation. Okay? So, that being the case, now amid all of that, you and I are supposed to comfort ourselves together. Notice, you can't comfort yourself alone very well. You can comfort someone else, and they can comfort you, and together you can comfort one another and edify one another. But some people think that they're just going to comfort themselves. They're very selfish. They don't understand what the kingdom of God is about. They don't understand the body of Christ. They don't understand the relationships that we're called to have. That it's not just the Bible in some kind of isolated fashion that we're supposed to embrace, but it's for a purpose. It's for the purpose of making us righteous before God and with one another. The kingdom of God is a one another business. It's not a me and mine or me and God. It's me, God, and one another, you see. So, we're supposed to know those that labor among us and who admonish us. We're supposed to esteem those very highly in love because of the work that they're doing. You see what this is? This is how we comfort one another. It's one another. The closer we see the Lord's return coming, the more we should be engaging with one another. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us, as you see the day of the Lord's return approaching, do not be like many people are, isolating themselves. Look what COVID did. Look what the government did to isolate Christians from being with one another through COVID. They even did it through threatenings of America's pastors. One church I know in California is under fines over a million dollars over COVID. It was wickedness. We're called to esteem others, and particularly those who are guiding us, teaching us, and so on, and admonishing us. And we're supposed to be at peace with one another. Let me ask you a question. Are you at peace in yourself? How can you be at peace with others when you're not even at peace within yourself? I love the psalmist when he says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Are you at great peace? If not, God is calling us to peace. We should have peace in ourselves. And that's why the psalmist says, Fret not. Do not fret yourself because of evildoers. Stop fretting, be at peace, trust the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Warn those that are unruly, the Bible says. Warn those that are unruly in the body. Comfort those that, well, the Bible says that are feeble-minded. Support the weak brother. And be patient with one another. 
patience. Let patience have its perfect work in us, friends. Then, the Apostle Paul gives us a list of things that uh, we should be about doing that characterize our life, our minds, our hearts, our spirits. And I want you to listen to these words. First of all, don't render evil for evil to anybody, but follow that which is good among yourselves. Next, rejoice evermore. Rejoice. I remember a man who was a custodian in the uh, uh, Christian day school, elementary school that uh, I was a board member of there in California. And if you were to go to this man at any time, you asked him how he was, he said, I'm just rejoicing. And he was. He really was. I'm just rejoicing. Are you just rejoicing? Can you rejoice and be glad even when things aren't going perfectly? I'm telling you, my wife had had, and I have had plenty of things not to rejoice about in the last 13 months. Lots of things, like a continual assault. But we choose to rejoice and trust the Lord. Trust the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. Pray without ceasing. That means in being in a continual state of prayer. It doesn't mean mouth off to God for 24 hours straight. That's not what it's talking about. It's just talking about talking with the Lord. Regularly, through the day. It can just be two or three words. It could be a sentence or two. It's an expression of the heart. Maybe it's an attitude of gratitude, because that's the next thing that Paul says, in everything give thanks. It's the will of God concerning you. If you want to know what the will of God is, there it is right there. Give thanks. The word that we use frequently for that is gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. He will change everything in your life. It's dramatic. Then quench not the spirit. Very easy to do that, to quench the spirit. We don't have time to go into depth on that, but many people do quench the Spirit. Even pastors try to quench the Spirit sometimes. They try to disabuse people of what the Word of God says because it doesn't line up with the theology that they learned in seminary. But their theology was not correct in seminary. It was contrary to the Holy Spirit rather than facilitating the work of the Holy Spirit. Then we're supposed to despise not prophesying. We're supposed to prove all things, hold fast that which is good, and abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. How many people now are coming into the news media, politicians, public figures, and so on, because they did not abstain from all appearance of evil? And then they become front page. People try to destroy them because of one thing, just one thing. We must abstain from all appearance of evil. Pastor and people alike. Flee temptation. And then, Paul encourages us and says, Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. 
Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. So comfort one another with those words. But then the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians because he realized that they still have got a problem. They're not quite getting it. So he says, Be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, or in spirit, nor by word, as the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is the same phrase, day of the Lord. In other words, it's the day when Christ himself returns to judge the world in righteousness, to pour out his wrath on the children of disobedience. But before that happens, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Let nobody deceive you. For that day, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ shall not come, except there come a falling away from Christ first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. All right. Friends, we can't play games with these words. It's very simple if you're willing to understand it. It's very simple. The day of the Lord is coming. It's a day when God pours out his wrath on the children of disobedience. And before that comes, there's going to be a great falling away of those who once purported to follow Christ. That's what it says. I can't help what your, what your pastor said. I can't help what his seminary said. This is what the Bible says. Like Billy Graham says, the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away. It's called the great apostasy. And when that happens, at, right after, as, as that's happening, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist will appear. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're taking a look at what the Apostle Paul says to us, to the church, through his letters to the Thessalonians concerning these times in which we're living that are becoming increasingly perilous, more troubling, and that he says, we should not, you should not be soon shaken in mind or be troubled in your spirit 
or by word because the day of Christ is at hand. He says, get used to it. Come on, accept it. And here's what's going to happen, he said. He said that that day when Christ comes and when God pours out his wrath upon the children of disobedience, as described in the book of Revelation, with the judgments, the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, and, and, and the seal judgments, and so on, that there's going to be a great falling away. You can't fall away from a place you've never been, friends. You know that. Let's get serious. You just can't. You can't fall away from a place you've never been. So, obviously, the Apostle Paul is not teaching what some call eternal security. Either he is spectacularly schizophrenic or multiple personality, or many theologians have chosen to disregard what he says. And the scripture has to come together congruently. Not separately, but congruently. It has to make sense together. So there's going to be a great falling away of professing believers. And I believe that one of the main reasons that that's going to happen, and we're watching it happen right now, by the way, is happening all over the world, is happening especially in the Western world, and especially in America. Here's the reason. Because as the spirit of Antichrist grows stronger, the threats against professing Christians are also going to grow stronger. It's called persecution. And as government begins to act increasingly in such a way as to restrict Christians from doing, living, conducting their families like they should, which is what the California courts uh, legislature has just done this last week, passed a legislation that would allow the courts and the Department of Public Social Services in California to take the children of Christian parents away from them if the parents refuse to support transgenderism and all of the things that go with it. Did you hear that? You think we don't have tribulation yet? It's screaming tribulation, friends. Why can't we see it for what it is? We don't want to. We think, oh, that's California. That's them. Well, friends, I came from California. I taught school in California. I practiced law for 20 years in California. I lived up and down the, the state of California. In many, for many, much of my uh, life, I know what California is like. I ran for the state legislature in California. And what's happened in California is a spectacular evidence of what's going to happen all over this country. It is happening. So, as the man of sin continues to be revealed 
in his spirit, that is the spirit of Antichrist, we're going to see more and more of this falling away because people aren't going to be willing to stand in the evil day. That's the point. They're just not going to be willing to stand in the evil day. They haven't prepared themselves to stand. Why do you think we spend so much time here on this program to prepare you, to urge you to prepare your children and your grandchildren, pastors, to prepare your flock? Stop playing these religious games of business as usual. Because the people are not going to be prepared. There's going to be a massive falling away, and guess who's going to bear the burden or responsibility for it before God? It's first going to be the pastors and the parachurch leaders and then the parents. Are you listening, my parent friends? And then it's going to be the grandparents. Mm. Mm Mm-mm-mm. Now, we know and are told by the Apostle Paul that that wicked one, the son of perdition, is coming after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And, as Paul said, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. Friends, that's what California is doing. When they enacted this particular bill by a huge majority in both their Senate and their House to take away children from their parents if the parents refuse to submit to the ungodly transgenderism, practicing of homosexuality, the whole LGBTQ uh, issue, the parents refuse. It gives carte blanche for the government of the state of California to kidnap under color of law your children and take them as their own. Please consider what's being said here. That's after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. People receive not the love of the truth. And, therefore, for this cause, Paul says, God shall send them, that is, the ones who just receive not the love of the truth. They're still playing games. They might be professing Christians, but they're not receiving the love of the truth. They don't really love the truth. They want to, they're, they're pretend Christians. They're playing pretend. Like a kid that plays house. They want to play like they're part of the house of God without actually being part of the house of God. So God will send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. And they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I want to take you back for just a moment, quick moment, to uh, the book of Romans, chapter 1. Remember, the Apostle Paul wrote that as well. And at the end of the book of Romans, chapter 1, 
he talks about the trajectory of basically falling away. It starts in verse 17. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they claim to be holding the truth, but they're not living righteously. In other words, they refuse to embrace the application and implications of the truth to guide and govern their life. Then, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. So God gives them over to uncleanness, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, to change the truth of God into a lie, to worship the creation rather than the creator, gives them up to vile affections uh, for lesbianism, uh, sodomy, and uh, so on. And now it's going to pederasty, it's going to uh, all kinds of uh, perversions, being filled with unrighteousness, fornication, And then he says, this is true not just for those who are doing these things, but who knowingly, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do them, but have pleasure in them that do them. In other words, if you come alongside, as a professing Christian or a pastor or whatever, you come alongside the practice of homosexuality, the practice of sodomy, the practice of transgenderism, the practice of divorce and remarriage, if your spouse is still living, which God calls adultery, you're going to, if you come alongside and support those things, you will be as guilty as the people who are doing them. That's what Paul says. Now, you may not like that, because of our culture today. But historically in this country, before the last 60, 70 years, people understood that very easily. That was well understood. It's only changed in the last 50, 60 years. During my lifetime, watch this change happen from coast to coast. If you've just grown up in it and have not been able to see the change, it's a little harder for you to understand how dangerous this is and how uh, all-encompassing it is. But it's there. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Comfort yourself with the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we shared together. Come together. Encourage one another. Build one another up, as Jude says, in your most holy faith. Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Get serious with the Lord. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart by faith. Get a copy of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. Also the book, Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. They're each reduced from $22 to $15 for this month. Just for this month. 
And uh, there would be $5 postage and handling for the first book, $2 for each successive book. If you get the other books that I have written, this is true only for the books that I have written, which are a total of nine of them on our website, then you'll be able to get them, the others, for $10 apiece. And uh, a lot of people are just deciding, I'm going to get one of each of them. You can get a whole bunch of one if you want. Get them away. We want to get the message out. That's the point. Time is short. We want to get the message out. And I hope you'll avail yourself of that opportunity. Go to the website, saveus.org. If you find that difficult, give us a call. 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 7. 0879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check, again, as you know, $5 for the first book, $2 for each successive book. And, again, I hope that you understand that there's absolutely no way that we can continue on this program without financial support. Now, God knows that. Uh, It doesn't happen for free. There are no deep pockets around to finance it. No big churches, no big institutions, nothing like that. There is no advertising because advertisers want to control what you say and what you don't say. So we don't do that. We trust the Lord and he trusts you. So we trust God him to move upon your heart if you're one who should be joining with us for support. If God moves upon your heart in that direction, then respond. Don't wait. Thanks for joining us. So many people across the country and around the world listening to this program. We're so grateful to you. God bless. Be a blessing, friends. And let's be a people that will follow the Lord with a whole heart until he comes again. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.